It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. You might think cybercrime is something that happens to other people, but you'd be wrong. Stealing data from public Wi-Fi is one of the easiest ways for hackers to make money. To protect yourself from cybercrime, use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN secures your internet browsing by encrypting data and hiding your IP address. With easy-to-use apps, protect your data with three months free at expressvpn.com slash huff. That's expressvpn.com slash huff for three months free with a one-year package. On Commons People this week... Has Jeremy Hunt blown it? Uh, the law is not going to change on fox hunting. Um, there isn't a majority in the House of Commons, and I don't see there ever being one. What will the Boris Johnson government look like? What I want to see is evidence, actual evidence, that uh, new taxes on uh, this or that item of, of food and taxes which fall disproportionately on poorer families actually stop people from being so fat. And is Jeremy Corbyn fit for office? The idea that civil servants should be briefing newspapers against an elected politician, against a prospective government, is something that should be very concerning to a lot of people. Hello and welcome to Commons People. Joining me this week is Paul Wall. Hi, Arj. Hi, Paul. We've also got two of the finest experts on the Tory party in Westminster. We've got Conservative Home Editor and former MP Paul Goodman. Hi. Hi, Paul. And Spectator Deputy Political Editor Katie Balls. Hello. Hello, Katie. Right, just quickly, um, we've been counting the amount of times the journalists on this show say Boris instead of Johnson or Boris Johnson because we want to kind of eradicate Boris and we were going to do a league table, which was going to not end... Not literally eradicate Boris, can I just Well, say? no, not, not literally, but <laughs> the, the, using that term. Um, and we were going to do a league table that ended um, at the end of the Tory leadership contest and the loser would have to do a forfeit. Now, I've been reviewing the past three podcasts. And to be honest, Paul, you're on 25 within one podcast plus 10 minutes, while Rachel and I were on one each. So I think you've just lost, and I, I can't be bothered lost. to count it anymore. But I said last week, so, I'm, I've owned it now. Boris, I own Boris, as yeah. in I own Ken, you know. I didn't, yeah. didn't say Ken Livingstone. Well, time. you're also going to earn a forfeit next week well, yeah. to be determined by JJ, Ooh, so oh, something good, to look good. forward to. Right, now Jeremy Hunt's leadership campaign appears to be in real trouble after he promised to push for a repeal of the ban on fox hunting. With ballot papers going out to Tory members as we speak, it looks like a crucial error at a critical time. Let's hear Hunt addressing the issue in an interview on Radio 4's Today programme. Um, Let's just be clear about what fox hunting involves. As the RSPCA puts it, wild animals being chased to the point of exhaustion, set upon by dogs for sport. Do you not regard that as cruel? Well, my view is a matter of public record. But what matters now is other things that I want to change as Prime Minister. Is it and cruel? And for the rural is communities... For, is, is it, is it well, cruel? 
my view is a matter of public record. But so what for is the it? Rural, Restate it then well, for anyone who might well, not be familiar with it. Is fox hunting I'm, I'm here to talk about the things I want to change as Prime Minister. That is not something that's going to change. Paul War, what was he thinking? Well, I'm not sure he was thinking because I'm not sure it's a deliberate strategy. And you could argue that, obviously, um, he, he, uh, he bore in mind the fact that he thought his Tory audience might like it. He was talking to the Telegraph, after all, and he was trying to slightly play to the gallery. But I don't think it was that conscious. It was, it was proof, actually, I thought, his answer, that when you're prime minister or even a potential prime minister, you can't just stick to home affairs like Theresa May did or, or health like did. Um, you've got to be a jack of all trades. And that's why PMQs, you see this massive, thick file that they carry in every week. And basically, there's leadership contenders. That's exactly what they've got to do everywhere they go now in a media interview. They've got to carry a massive, big, thick file in their heads. Yeah. I'm going to be asked about anything. So in a way, I think he should have been prepared for this question. He clearly wasn't prepared. And he ended up with the worst of all worlds trying to retract it on the Today programme this morning. And I thought that wasn't a good look. Just not answering the question having said look all I did was give a straight answer to a straight question and then not answer the straight question which was do you think fox hunting is cruel he could have come up with a a smart person politician could have come up with an answer about that saying he could have said look angling might be cruel but we're not going to ban that are we you know he he could have come up with something that would have been in tune with his audience both audiences the Tory audience and the wider public yeah I I think when it comes to his fox hunting comments I mean it quite clearly, soon after you realised, this wasn't an official new campaign policy pledge. They've been holding, holding back for this crucial week. With notes for <laughs> editors and a five-point plan. Exactly, because ultimately this weekend is the most important in the Tory leadership race. It's when the members get their postal ballot. The expectation is they send it very quickly, probably by Monday. So therefore you want to use the final days until that point to get all your key messages out. Fox hunting is not one of Jeremy Hunt's key messages. I also do find it slightly bizarre that he didn't have an answer because it's not like the Tories don't know the trouble they can get into on fox hunting. If you look at what happened in the 2017 SNAP election, Theresa May's answer on fox hunting, which she was asked and she said she was personally in favour of it and the suggestion of ho- holding this vote for a majority played out very badly for the Tory party. Now, there are multiple things that went wrong clearly in that SNAP election, but there's a lot of Conservative MPs who really saw it as an unforced error and the, and the fact that it went viral and lots of these stories. And I think for Jeremy Hunt particularly, he has spent a lot of this leadership campaign saying the reason that I would be better than Boris Johnson is I can reach out to Liberal Democrat voters, potential swing voters, perhaps even Labour. Now, you can make an argument that there are Countryside Alliance members, perhaps Tory members, so helpful for the next couple of days, who do want to see this vote held and they want to see it passed. And Jeremy Hunt said, well, yesterday, that he, he personally would vote in favour of repealing the ban. But that's not compatible with his pitch of trying to win back or win over these metropolitan voters. And I, I think the other thing I think with it is, and I'm not sure how damaging it is personally with the Tory membership, is, and I don't think it's a massive boon because... I ultimately think the members who perhaps will want fox hunting repealed will find plenty of issues with other parts of the Jeremy Hunt (laughs) manifesto. But the other thing is, I think there is a sense, the whole campaign, that Jeremy Hunt has been continuity Theresa May. And you saw that in a few things, such as the fact that he is the person who has left himself space to delay... Brexit to extend Article 50. His comments on Northern Ireland veterans were seen as continuity, Theresa May, and making very similar comments to her on fox hunting, showing you haven't really learnt from that, I think just adds to that idea, which is why I think it's quite damaging. I think you've got to just step back from all this for a minute and look at the bigger picture. The bigger picture is 
Jeremy Hunt is almost certainly not going to win, <laughs> right? And here we are in early July, and there are weeks of this to go, right? We're not going to get a result till near the end of July. The only thing you can do in those two weeks, if you're one of the candidates, is make tax and spending announcements and make mistakes. These are the only things they're going to do for the next two weeks, right, <laughs> as they try to stay afloat. And this looks to me more like a mistake than... Um, a device by Jeremy Hubbard. I just don't think it's going to make any difference. I spent yesterday ringing around uh, Tory MPs, who I thought were at least vaguely trustworthy, to say, look, is there a hunt surge or not? Is there something going on we're not seeing? Is um, he gaining uh, on the ground? And we don't know. Uh, and the answer I got back pretty much, trying to discount all the spin and all the wishful thinking, there's even more wishful thinking than spin, was I really don't see it. So I think he, he blundered into this by accident. I kind of agree with um, Paul that um, when you're Jeremy Hunt, when you're foreign secretary, just imagine you're sitting there at the cabinet table and you hear discussion about all sorts of things outside your area, you've not really got your mind on it. And that's what happened with the Northern Ireland business, right? Someone can ask you any question. You're like Mark Harper, who did that stunt um, earlier in this contest, where he said, ask me anything. <laughs> that can happen to you if you're Boris Johnson or Jeremy Hunt, and you'd better be ready. I just don't think he was ready for this question about fox hunting, and he got ambushed. And even the best prepared, most mellifluent, most emollient person like Jeremy Hunt going to get caught up. It's quite a strange answer to give, though, even if you're not prepared for the question. Well, it's an odd answer, because if you read it, it looks as though he said at the start, if you read it a certain way, that as Prime Minister, he'd provide the parliamentary time. Yeah. And that's what really matters. Yeah. You know, if it's, if it's a free vote, that's kind of one thing. I'd say in parenthesis, I, I, I'm struggling to quite get to terms with why this has become a sort of big issue post-2017, whereas with David Cameron... I suppose everyone assumed he went fox hunting anyway and scouted it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but he kind of gave the impression in that early section of what he said that he'd provide the parliamentary time. Whoa. And then he seems to have spent quite a lot of time after that trying to row back. It's just he wouldn't really. He was just, um, you know, stating a, a personal view. But it's a good example of why we have leadership contests, isn't it? I mean, you know, that you, you're allowed to make a mistake like this and it's quite useful. It's, it doesn't, as, as Paul and Katie have pointed out, you know, it's in the grand scheme of things, it's not going to affect actually the, the outcome. But what it does do is, is tell an average voter out there, whether it's a Tory member or a member of the public, actually, maybe they've not got this whole thing sorted out. Maybe they're not the politician we thought they are. And it's quite useful, I think. What it reminds me of, I know Katie's been doing some of these hustings. Um, uh, you certainly did the, the parliamentary one. I, in 2015, did the uh, Labour hustings up in Warrington. And Jeremy Corbyn and these three former special advisers alongside him. And I was chairing this meeting. And I was in this hall in Warrington. And it may well just be replicated in the Tory membership um, uh, race at the moment. And you saw the Labour membership for the first time properly. You saw what they looked like. You know, normally they're ignored. No one really pays attention to them. You see them at conference, but no one really gives them this kind of massive role. And there they were, the three automaton spads, Burnham, Cooper and Kendall, all sounded so similar. Corbyn then came in at the end of every question, and it was at the end of every question normally. He'd say his thing, and it was very old-fashioned, but the cheers and the applause was extraordinary. And I was really struck. 
at that hustings, I thought, wow, this guy is doing something that the others aren't doing. And you could t- and it was replicated then at every hustings afterwards. And I suspect Boris, in a, a strange way, is doing the same thing. People know he's got this authenticity. He's, they know where he's coming from. They know what the whole package is. They know you're going to get the gaffes and you're going to get the cock-ups and the inconsistencies and the you know buffoonery. But they also know... Where does Boris roughly stand on most issues? With Jeremy Hunt, I'm not quite sure they know Jeremy Hunt. Commons People is very excited to offer you the chance to enjoy six issues of the week for free at theweek.co.uk forward slash offer with offer code HuffPost. The week is like a news filter, pulling together articles and opinion from more than 200 different sources. The week brings multiple viewpoints from across the spectrum all together to give you the full picture. And their concise summary of the last week isn't just politics and current affairs, but also covers sport, food, the arts and more. It's everything you need to know in one quick read, getting you outside the echo chamber and to the heart of the matter. Join thousands of people who trust the week as their essential curated news source. Try it for yourself with your first six issues completely free. Go to theweek.co.uk forward slash offer and enter the code HuffPost for six free issues. Well, well, speaking of which, Boris Johnson has been out of the traps this week with a raft of policy announcements, including a review of syntaxes and a boost to police numbers. But let's hear Nigel Farage's verdict on Johnson's policy platform. Someone I've known for a long time. Uh, I mean, my difficulty with Boris Johnson is, is not liking him. My difficulty is I've no idea where he stands on the third runway. I've no idea where he stands on HS2. I've no idea where he stands really on uh, sugar taxes. Uh, in fact, he, um, I- immigration. I mean, this is a guy that just flips and flops. Uh, says what he thinks the audience wants to hear. Katie, you've, you've interviewed Boris Johnson this week. Do you have a clearer idea of what he'll do in office than Nigel Farage? Perhaps a slightly clearer idea than Nigel Farage. I wouldn't say it's um, if I had a crystal ball. I don't feel as though I know exactly what's going to happen. And I, I think that's partly because Boris Johnson has purposely not been entirely clear about what he plans to do. And we've seen with some of the domestic policy announcements this week, but it does seem also as though with lots of these domestic policy announcements, they arrive and then there's this slight backlash yeah. or there's confusion over who in the camp agrees with what and then it slightly gets watered down. Or You saw that with the 50 to 80k income tax threshold, um, which has now, I think, been degraded to an aspiration. When we asked Boris Johnson about it in the Spectator interview this week, he simply said he did not want to get dragged into a conversation about the about the topic of income tax. <laughs> um, then when we pressed him on this, because he thought, well, you have agreed to sit down with us, um, he eventually said that he was surprised that it was a taboo topic in the Conservative Party, which I think to me suggested that he is surprised with the backlash but doesn't want to get drawn into it. So I do think even with the domestic policy, and I think with the Brexit strategy, there's been plenty of criticism already that Jeremy Hunt has been more detailed. But even with that, and you look at the stealth taxes, sugar tax, and all these claims, there was a point made that Matt Hancock, who's supposed to be helping Boris Johnson, or at least thinks he's helping Boris Johnson quite heavily with his policy, had a different view on sugar tax, I think 12 hours before this was all launched. <laughs> and it does build up this slightly strange picture, but Boris Johnson on sugar taxes and stuff like this has only said he's going to look into a review of this. So 
I don't know if it's as bold as perhaps we would even expect on quite a few of these things. I think when it comes to what Boris Johnson government would look like in terms of their policies, we do know broadly where his values are on certain issues. So I think Paul is right in the sense that there is enough known of Boris Johnson already that we know that he wants to deliver Brexit. We know that he will risk a no-deal Brexit, but partly it's because he thinks by putting it on the table you don't get to no deal. We don't know exactly what happens if that doesn't work and you get near no deal. I think that's that's still a grey area of Boris Johnson. And I think on his policies, I, th- I think he will want to have more freedom of choice for people in, in, in the UK. So stuff like the sugar tax will come up. And I think that he is someone who does believe people should pay less tax. But he thinks it should be consistent. So he also wants to have people... When we talked about tax, he made the point that he didn't just want the highest earners to pay less tax. I think he felt as though people have jumped to the conclusion of this and actually he wants everyone to pay less tax and everyone to be wealthy. Now, easier said than done. But I do think that in a way people, not perhaps the press, but I would say Tory members are slightly more forgiving of the lack of detail because they do think they broadly know where Boris Johnson stands on these issues. So there's less of a need. That said, I do think Jeremy Hunt at the start of the week anyway, did put pressure on Boris Johnson by coming up with this precise no deal plan because people have said, well, if he can do that, surely you can. I think you've got to try and as ever with Boris Johnson, kind of disentangle the different elements and try to work out what's noise and what's meaningful. And because he doesn't want to say all that much at the moment, because he's the front runner and why should you take any risks? Therefore, a number of stories appear that are not really very authoritative. Like, I don't really believe he's going to create this small war cabinet. Um, the, the, the entire story about axing lots of departments seem to me to be very unreliable, right? You're about to go into a general election. What do you do? Your way of preparing for it is to irritate lots of people by doing lots of <laughs> movement of deck chairs around Whitehall. So you could dismiss all that. And then what you've got left is this sort of deeply um, ambiguous position, really, at the end on Europe, where although he's been very clear... You know, we will leave on October the 31st. When we did our Con Home interview with him, the first thing we asked him practically on, on Brexit was, are all your cabinet going to have to be signed up to no deal if necessary? And he says, yes. But there's still this doubt. I was talking to a, a remaining soft Brexity MP this week who's supporting Boris Johnson. And I said, look, um, uh, you know, he's going to be letting either you or Mark Francois down, isn't he? And they said, yeah, I've had exactly this conversation with Mark this week. And we agreed, quite amiably, one of us <laughs> is going to be shafted. So there's still this element of, of doubt. But then finally, you get down to what Katie called Boris's values, but you might also call his impulses. And his impulses, he doesn't like to be restrained by anything. So he's got this sort of libertarian instinct. That came as come out in all the stuff about... Uh, you know, the so-called syntaxes. So you've got a sort of degree of personal freedom stuff. You can imagine, imagine in a Boris Johnson government, you've got the Department of Health doing one thing with, you know, quite independent-minded minister and the officials going their own way, and Boris in number 10 kind of denouncing it. Then you've got his big infrastructure, those building bridges, you know, let's build a bridge to Northern Ireland, let's build a bridge for our infrastructure, boom. A lot of that. Plus, um, you know, quite a lot of spending commitments and how you reconcile all that with orthodox fiscal management, I don't really know. I've tried this on. There's plenty of spare money washing around. And there you are. Those are the kind of elements of Boris Johnson. Ambiguity on Europe, it's a kind of libertarian instinct, plus apparently throwing a lot of money around. 
but also his style of leadership is going to be interesting because it's going to be a brand new style of leadership. And and we saw, you know, you don't have to look into a crystal ball when you've got the book of City Hall. And City Hall showed you that he had this sort of delegated style of leadership where he would be half chairman, half chief executive. Now, he wasn't one or the other. And it was important to point out the caricature of Boris is that he's just a chairman. And all he does is bang the table uh, and, and just say, look, this is my big picture. Actually, people who work with him in London said he did have an eye on what would that that day's stabbing he would want to know where the cops were that moment he'd want some real mic sometimes he'd really go for micro you know individual traffic lights that were out he'd want to know why um but so he's this mixture of a chief executive interfering chief executive and chairman and that's a whole new model of leadership that we've not had before and i'm not quite sure how the civil service is going to deal with it i'm certainly not sure how his fellow ministers are going to deal with it as paul says it will often contradict individual ministers i'm sure because of his bigger broad brush values will sometimes contradict it and so we're gonna have to get used to that and in a strange way it's almost i mean i imagine it'll be a bit like jeremy corbyn in that way mm. because i imagine corbyn will be like that quite quixotic on some things you know he'll have his impulses you can imagine jeremy corbyn will be his own foreign secretary entertain the thought experiment jeremy corbyn as prime minister he would be his own foreign <laughs> secretary you know no matter who was the foreign secretary he would say something that would contradict someone on gaza you, you know no no matter what happens and in a strange way, that unpredictability is, is what unites them. I think that's quite interesting, really. I think one way in which it may be more chaotic than perhaps the Jeremy Corbyn premiership would be is the sense that Jeremy Corbyn, people often say, is you know, surrounded by the four M's, so his closest advisors who basically have a militant grip and it's very hard to almost get through them if you want to speak to Jeremy Corbyn. Boris Johnson, I think, has an opposite approach where he likes to listen to lots of different people's advice. And one of the concerns I've heard from... Boris Johnson supporters going in is obviously moving into number 10 in theory you want to have quite a tight ship but it's not clear which of the many camps is the one Boris Johnson is going to go to as as the first source to listen to and I think that's potentially going to be one of the big problems for him the fact that he isn't someone who relies on just one person and he will listen to one person's advice then another then might change his mind and I think that would be an interesting dynamic which I think for all the change of you know strong opinions of Jeremy Corbyn, behind the scenes, it often seems like it's a slightly smoother running operation, partly because perhaps the people close to him are quite disciplined. Yeah, <laughs> it would be much more like a court, more than with Theresa May, more with Jeff Cameron. You've got these groups of courtiers. You've got the relatively new Gavin Williamson, James Wharton sort of courtier element. You've got the old retainers of Nigel Adams, Ben Wallace, people who've followed him around in Parliament for years. You've got the London gang. You've got the vote leave people who are sort of scattered to the four winds but are very much around. And they will all manoeuvre for the ear of Boris Johnson. And um, he's someone who, while... On the one hand, being apparently plain to read and this showman, flamboyant figure, he does keep his counsel to himself. And I kind of reminded of, I did something in the back of my mind the other day about the, um, Thomas More saying of Henry VIII, if his cap knew what he thought, he'd throw it in the fire and burn it. Boris is like that. And he will, I think to some degree, listen to these various groups and almost play them off. This doesn't sound particularly encouraging. But I, I think pulls onto something when he is I've worked with Boris and seen this myself that you think he's a hands-off sort of chairman merchant actually he's a clever guy and when you talk to a kind of more straightforward member of the Johnson family like Joe Johnson you realize how sharp 
they can be in this family. And Boris can zero in suddenly on some point of detail in a way you've not been expecting. And you have to kind of watch that. I'm not sure it'll always be done in a very disciplined way, in a way that it necessarily furthers good government. But that's how I think it'll be. It'll be a strange mixture of the court and, and standing off and zooming in on various bits of policy when he feels he wants to. In a strange way, that's almost exactly like Donald Trump. And because that's exactly what Trump does. Trump has his impulses. And Paul, that's a really good word. He says impulses as much as values. And so he will he will drill down and say, well, why why isn't that border security guard doing his job or whatever? You know, and it will be the macro and the micro. And that's a nightmare if you're some momentum like that. It really is. It, it, it all sounds very unstable and chaotic. And then he's got this ambiguous and possibly undeliverable Brexit promise and, and Parliament hellbent on stopping him. How long is it going to last? It's another way of looking at it. It's the absolute opposite of Theresa May running everything through Nick Timothy and Fiona Hill when everything that highly has been highly structured bottlenecks because nothing can, can get through. So in a way, I think you know, if you were, you were a minister, you'd rather take your chance on, on Boris, even though you might find yourself doing a Matt Hancock. And I'll say, <laughs> so, something As it's one now day, known. You're going to, you're going to be humiliated the day later by, by you know, Boris suddenly... Suddenly, putting his print all over your all over your lawn, all over your department. Um, so you've got to look at the strengths and weaknesses of, of of the approach. I mean, my thought about it all is much more to do with you can't think about this as though it's not going to be a government for five years. So you're necessarily going to have five years of this rather peculiar form of government. I mean. Um, we're right up against a possible no-deal extension deadline again. And that and the electoral politics and the presence of the Brexit party and Labour's condition and the you know revival of the Lib Dems, that's what's going to be driving things, not, not a five-year plan. Yeah, and I think on becoming Prime Minister, if he does as we expect, it's 100 days really until that deadline. And I think it's the most important time period of any Prime Minister going in if you think of what they have to do, because yes, on Brexit, but there is a chance that there isn't an extension or before you get there because negotiations aren't going right, we end up in a general election. So this is going to be a time period where not only do you want to focus your energy on Brexit preparations, preparing for no deal, trying to get uh, negotiating changes. You also want to be trying to build a bit of a domestic agenda or giving the public a glimpse of what you would pr- promise them if you actually were to get a majority. So I think that that's the different elements. So they won't be able to put off the domestic even though they've got so much in that time because there is that risk that you are going to go to the public sooner rather than later. Yeah, interesting actually. I've been doing the numbers this week on a vote of no confidence and the numbers are really tight suggest that just five Tories would need to cross the floor and if the Lib Dems win Brecon just four could create a tied vote if you count all the opposition votes up more independents are going to vote for that vote of no confidence than maybe we previously thought but anyway it's not been a good week for Jeremy Corbyn with civil servants giving hostile briefings about his health to the times and a YouGov poll putting Labour in fourth place let's hear former head of the civil service Bob Kerslake's thoughts on the Times story I think it needs to be pursued to the point where they can, if at all possible, identify the names. And if they do, those people should leave the civil service absolutely clearly, in my view. It is completely unacceptable to to behave in this way. And, and worst of all, it undermines 
the basic principles of impartiality and serving the government of the day, which, in my experience, most, if not all, civil servants actually believe. So it damages that key relationship of trust and, and has to be dealt with firmly and, and very... Paul, what interesting one, this, the row with the civil service. What's the latest? Well, I think Corbyn's people thought this was a chance to... Um, replicate what happened when he was accused of being a communist spy by the sun. You know, that famous story. Um, And he used that to his advantage because it was so blatantly not true. uh, There was just no evidence and it was a a real blunder of a story that they could go on the front foot and say, isn't this the awful, this is the mainstream media, this is just, this is the establishment trying to do him in. And that's what they think is his biggest card. Look, the, everyone's worried by him because he's a genuine change maker, and change makers are attractive to the electorate. That's what that's the plan. Um, in this case, it's more complicated because I think actually all you had in that time story was a couple of senior civil servants gossiping over a coffee, and brilliantly the Times got hold of that gossip. That is what every reporter does. Now, in my opinion, I think it was a massive mistake to splash that story on it because it kind of undermined the rest of the good stuff that was in there. And the good stuff in there was the bullying culture around Corbyn, the four M's, as as Katie says, which is Milne, Murphy, Murray. Who's the other M? Uh, I'm forgetting the other M. Come on. Can't have forgotten the other M. No, 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 no. It will come to me later. But the four M's, um, basically him being pushed around by these people, um, so much so that there was even a brilliant quote in there from Carrie Murphy on when Corbyn was apparently raised the idea of a second Brexit referendum. She came up with this quote, we're not doing that, we're not selling out our class. And it was just an amazing quote. It was like, in a nutshell, that's why Corbyn's not doing this. Um, There are people with very strong views, very close to him, who who think like that. And I thought that was a much more interesting story than a bit of gossip about his health, which, to be honest, all of us have probably heard in the last few months anyway and not written. But Corbyn, as a result, went in on the the health stuff. It was an open goal for him in that sense, in that he he could say, look, um, you know, it's clear that I'm, I'm not, well, his team keep insisting there's no medical problem. Although, as we mentioned to them this week, well, why not publish a full medical then? Um, and that would be a good American-style way of clearing this well, up. Well, I've actually seen him down my local gym. You have actually. Iron. You've said this. Yeah, you've yeah, said this. I won't this. reveal which gym. Yeah. But I was coming out of a squash game and he was there at 9, 10pm at night doing the shoulder press. Yeah, so there you go. Yeah. Hi. Hi, yeah. He <laughs> seems to be doing well. I didn't I didn't count his sort of the sort of how, how many weights he had stacked up, but he, he seemed to be doing all right. But I think that that's really the point, which is that they can easily dismiss the health stuff, and it's the other stuff that is much trickier, much trickier. Uh, Katie, just to go on to the opinion poll, the Tories uh, were back on top, but only on 24%. Are you expecting a new leader bounce, as it were, and what would be a kind of decent-sized new leader bounce when they take over? I think it's likely you get a new leader bounce. It tends to be the case when you have a new leader. Clearly, Boris Johnson is someone who is divisive, so I think there is a ceiling in terms of there's some voters who I don't think are going to go in for that bounce, you know, here's my pitch. But I, I would expect them to get that. I think the problem is, though, the obstacles and, I suppose, horrors greeting this new prime minister are, are very hard to move 
So I think a honeymoon period, for example, are they going to have a honeymoon period? They're going straight into an incredibly complex, well, not even a negotiation. They have to get it back to being a negotiation on Brexit. They're going into a really difficult situation with a really tight deadline. So I think although you would expect a pole dance for the Tories, I just think that the, the weight around it means they can't, shape the conversation in the way a new leader probably could in other circumstances because they have to deal with the fact that they have made promises on Brexit and they have, you know, until actually not even to the end of October because that's when they're leaving. So they have before, you know, that to come up with it. So I think, I mean, I did think on that poll, obviously it was very bad for Labour. I don't know if there was that much to celebrate for the Tories, you know, topping a poll. But yeah, you're in the (laughs) 24% and you're looking at the Brexit party, which is still doing well. You're looking at the Lib Dems, which is still doing well and and also do pose a threat to the Tories for some of their voters. And I, I don't think there's much cause for celebration. And I think it really comes down to, I think if we are to have a general election, this year it's just it's so hard to see how all those currents are going to play out and you know who skims which of the main parties votes in a way which leads to that but yeah no I don't see a big um I don't see a long honeymoon period for this new leader though I do expect they will have a perhaps a good week or two um Katie's got to go now to do her own podcast for the spectator outrageous um and she's avoided the quiz which I think she was trying to do Paul Goodman, what did you make of the, the story in the Times at the weekend about Corbyn's health? Paul's just talked it through in a very thorough way that I hadn't really thought of. But I remember when I read it at the time, my reaction was the same as yours about the inner circle stuff. And I thought, wow, no, this is really, really interesting detail about how it operates. And then you take on that thought to try to imagine what it would all be like in government. But again, I mean, it's rather like the Jeremy Hunt fox hunting thing. Like you've got to sort of step back a bit and try and see the big picture. And the big picture for the tourists is that, sure, they need their Remain voters um, to get it anywhere near a dominant position. But it's simpler for them. They are basically now a Leave party. And it was losing those Leave voters to the Brexit party. It was the postponement of Brexit, the European elections, that caused their collapse in the polls. My reading of, of Labour, and I, you know, I'm not a, a Labour expert, is it's much more difficult for them because you've got this, uh, on the whole, Remain-leaning capital city where a lot of their members are based with strong Remain-supporting MPs and some very prominent seats. And then up in the rest of the country, in provincial Britain, the Labour vote's splitting all over the place. Bits of it are going to the Tories, bits of it are going to the Lib Dems, bits of it are going to independents and Greens and what have you. Trying to create a coherent policy out of that is a nightmare. And some um, uh, polling experts who've followed Labour for a long time, they look at Ian Warren, is reverberating in my head, have looked at the strategic situation of both the parties and have said, it's hopeless. (laughs) Labour, if they go in one direction, they're they're in great difficulty. And if they go in another, they're in great difficulty. What clearly is aggravating it for Labour is this sort of strange sense that Corbyn may not be there for all that long. And yet, when you give your health report he sounds fine but I've no doubt at all what she's a Tom Watson manoeuvre or John McDonnell manoeuvre and you know all the rest of these characters mill about that they're thinking he may go uh, and I may then be in a position to take over or push my point of view so you know the Tories are in a difficult place but but Labour are too which leads me to wonder 
you know, sure, you know, Corbyn's got a um, thump down a no-confidence vote if he can, but do Labour really want a no-confidence vote at the moment? Do they really want to go into a general election? It's a good I question, so. actually. The, the, the other M that we've got, by the way, is McCloskey, um, the fourth well, yeah. M. Um, but that brings me on to the, exactly what Paul said. I mean, you know... Corbyn is being pulled by the McCluskey wing of of the Labour Party. You know, it, it, he's in tune with it. It's a it's a Lexiteer, Brexiteer wing of the party with that deep tradition of you know let's get rid of the state aid rules, all that stuff. Um, so it's a really complicated picture, uh, and I have to say that we know we're nowhere near at this stage anywhere predicting what would happen in a general election because there is this massive range as we've talked before. There's a huge range of possibilities in this general election. That yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we don't actually probably talk about the Brexit party enough on this show. Paul Goodman, what would the Tory grassroots think of a tie-up, a Boris Brexit party Just thinking you're picking up on something Paul said. Yeah. Uh, there's an extraordinary lack of Tory polling about where Tory marginal seats are. And you hear some Tories say, we can't desert our traditional voters. And you hear other Tories say, uh, we must see a modern liberalising party open to modern Britain and so on. The only study... I've seen done of all this as a study by by onward, name some seats. It's quite good, but you know that now to me looks out of date, because that was done in a you know two three party world where Labour and the Tories battle it out in the Midlands and the North, and down in the South it, there are more Tory Lib Dem marginals. You now got kind of four parties around. Now in our um, uh, you know con home survey, we have striking numbers of Tories wanting a pact with the Brexit party, over half. Um, the Mail on Sunday, I remember, did this poll during the European elections where they found two out of five Tory councillors were going to vote for the Brexit party. And that, um, in a grim sort of way, reassured me because our poll was showing something like 50-60% of Tory members were going to vote Brexit party in the European elections. And um, I'm very sceptical about all these pacts because you can't move voters about as though they're pieces on a chessboard and you can move them from A to B because you've made some central decision. That all showed up in 2015 where you got a surprise result. But the terms have changed um, and you know, you now this substantial Brexit party presence. So if you go into a general election and Brexit's not been, been delivered, I, I don't know, but I'd hazard a guess that... Um, uh, you know, Boris Johnson won't have talked to Michael Farage, to Nigel Farage, but someone who Farage knows will have talked to someone mm. who Boris Johnson knows about possibly making this working. And you, you can't rule this out in this strange world in which we now live, where you've got four parties in England and Wales, anyway, certainly in England, fighting in a two-party electoral system. Yeah, right. Now, we've just about got time for a quiz, which this week is all about around the different pledges that the Tory leadership let's do that again now we've just got now we've just about got time for a quiz which this week is about the different pledges or around the different pledges that the different Tory leadership candidates have made so question number 1 which role in government divide I'll do that again question number 1 which role in government derives its name from fox hunting oh is that one of the whips, Chief Whips? It's whips, generally, yeah. Straight in there, yeah. Um, said in. to derive from the fox hunting term whippers in, which is um, someone who sits at the back of the pack of the hounds and uh, cracks a whip in order to keep stray dogs in line. <laughs> How appropriate. Yeah. Uh, on taxes, the Latin phrase pecunia non olet means money doesn't stink, uh, and it relates to a Roman tax, but what is the tax? Oh, 
Is that a salt tax? Were they taxed in, in salt? I don't know. It's not salt. So it's not some sort of the obvious place it goes. It's some sort of tax on sewers. You're close. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. You're very close. Like that. Um, I'm close, but I can't think. That sounds mm. good to me. I'll give you. I'll give you a point there. <laughs> it's a tax what on urine. Ah. ah, so urine yeah. from public urinals was collected and sold because wow. it was an essential that's ingredient in chemical processes like tanning. That's amazing. And the buyer was charged a tax. Wow. Well, well. Uh, ingenious bring it back. A, a little bit less obscure this week, but coming into the 21st century. Um, there was a bit of talk this week about slimming down Whitehall departments. So tell me which Whitehall departments are currently physically actually based in Whitehall. Oh, that's a good one. Well, if, you quite ca- a few. if you count the Treasury, yeah. then the Treasury's got the lots treasury? within the Treasury. <laughs> since, since DCMS. You've got DCMS in there. You've got, who else have you got? You've got Scotland Office. Yeah. got... I think the Wales office is still in Cabinet Whitehall. Cabinet office yeah. will be. Cabinet yeah. office. Yeah. Uh, who's left? Who's left? Who's left? It's quite a few. Oh, Department of Health. No, they've moved. They've moved. Department of Health have moved. Have we done moved. Wales? Is yeah. Wales yeah, we did then? Wales. Yep. Um, MOD. Oh, uh, MOD. MOD, yeah. Department of Health. It's moved. It's moved. It's moved now. Oh, no, they've moved Victoria Street. Yeah. Who are we missing? Who are we missing? There must be one we're missing. We've done the MOD. There's four. Wow. No, we've done MOD, haven't we? There's yeah. Three. Um, oh, um, deck. Oh, no, deck. Does deck still exist? No, deck no. doesn't exist anymore. Oh, it's within it's Bays, no, isn't it? It, it used to be there in Whitehall, anyway. It's not there anymore because the agriculture exist. department used to be. And bits of that are in Smith Square. Yeah. So that's not there. Um, You've got us here, Arge. No, there's some, something in the Treasury. A couple of the new departments. There must be something in the Treasury. We're not thinking something of. No. Um, Oh, God. There's a big obvious one that you haven't got as well. Big obvious one. We've done the Treasury. And we've done MOD. Right, I'm... Go on, put us out of our misery. Foreign Office. Of course. I was just thinking Charles Street. Dexu. Dexu. Yes, that's for Department for International Trade. Because they're kind of based in the they're foreign, in the office, foreign office, office. Oh, they're in the foreign they're office. Floor, that's the one I was thinking Diffid, of. Diffid's up the road. Ah, yes. Towards Trafalgar that's near Square. Cabinet Office 55, yeah. I think that's it. Northern that's Ireland it. is around there somewhere as well. I think NIO is as well. Yeah. Oh. Uh, that's all we've got time for. So we're going to leave you with a slightly strange turn of phrase from Theresa May as she taunted Jeremy Corbyn over Brexit at Prime Minister's Questions. Well, the Right Honourable Gentleman stands up and says it was the Labour Party that put a motion to uh, abandon No Deal to take it off the table uh, through into this House. The trouble is, when it came to the votes that mattered, when it came to the votes that would actually have an impact on stopping No Deal, the Labour Party whipped against them. Absolutely typical of the Right Honourable Gentleman, all mouth and trousers. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.